Welcome to Working Sober, the podcast that empowers high achievers like yourself to take control of their drinking habits and maximize their career success. I'm your host, Melissa. Working Sober is here to inspire and support you on your journey. So sit back, relax, and let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Working Sober. I'm your host, Melissa, and today I am speaking with the lovely Jennifer Salzman. She is a sober coach who supports late-diagnosed ADHD adults who are self-medicating with alcohol and other unhealthy habits. When Jennifer was diagnosed with adult ADHD in her 40s, she realized that she had spent more than 20 years self-medicating her symptoms with alcohol. Drinking was the easiest and fastest way to shut off the constant chatter in her brain. She also discovered that alcohol Alcohol abuse among people with ADHD is more common than it is in people without that condition. Jennifer now coaches others to help them find freedom from alcohol, gain a new outlook on life, and improve their relationship with themselves and their neurodivergent brains. In this episode, Jennifer and I have a lot to discuss. Our journeys overlap in so many different ways. We talk about the drinking culture that exists in large cities and how sometimes we tend to drink to cope with being overstimulated in those large cities, especially for individuals with ADHD. We talk about self-medicating to manage undiagnosed ADHD symptoms. We talk about quitting drinking versus quote-unquote doing the work. Jennifer and I also both quit drinking during the pandemic. So we talk about sober life during the pandemic and just generally existing in the world as a non-drinker and getting out of our own way to change our relationship with alcohol. We touch on some other topics that I don't think we've discussed on the podcast before, one of them being nutrition as a sobriety tool and as an ADHD tool. And Jennifer and I, of course, discuss why we love the TikTok sober community so much. That's how we connected. Jennifer has a great TikTok. I highly recommend you go check her out over there, linked up in the show notes. I do want to just preface this interview by saying that there are some issues with the audio. I tried to edit it as best as I could, but this was recorded virtually. And so if you're noticing there's some hiccups with the audio, that's why I hope you'll still be able to enjoy this episode nonetheless. Um, Yeah, so enough rambling from me. I think I say that every single week, (laughs) but let's get into today's episode with Jennifer Salzman. I am here with Jennifer. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's so nice to have you here. Hi there. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So I think what I would like to do is just kind of hear a little bit about you, where you're from, and the work that you're doing now as a coach. I think that's a great place for us to start. And then we can kind of talk about your sobriety journey and uh, your ADHD journey and how that all kind of led to you getting to where you are now. Okay. Sounds good. So I'm from a small town in upstate New York and um, I live, which is where I live now, but I spent most of my adult life in New York City. I was there for almost 25 years Um, and that's where my drinking really, I got really good at it. (laughs) Um, You know, I, I mean, I was always a big drinker, like I started drinking in high school and then I went to college and I was in a sorority and, you know, Greek life and everything revolved around drinking. And then after graduation, I lived in New York. And again, I just, I thought I was a normal drinker. You know, I hung out with people who drank a lot. And as time went on, I got married, I got divorced. (laughs) Then my drinking increased even more after the divorce because I was like on my own for the first time and going out a lot more and meeting new people and going on dates. And it was just, I'm just such a part of my life that I never, you know, I always thought like, I drink too much, but never to the point where I really seriously considered not doing it anymore. But, you know, alcohol is an addictive drug and it takes, it's a progressive disease. I mean, I don't really think of it as a disease, but over time, you know, your tolerance grows and I continue drinking and I realized like so many of the problems that I was going through in life, the common denominator was always alcohol. And so that's what happened. And that's that's what I really, it, it's kind of weird. There were so many instances that you would think I would wake up and say, okay, enough. But it was really just kind of random. One morning I woke up and I said, you know what? I, I'm, I think I'm done with this. And then I never drank again. That was almost three years ago. So. Oh, that's amazing. So tell me yeah. about your career journey then. So I know you mentioned that you were in New York City. 
Um, did a job take you there or were you just like, I'm going to move to New York City? I just, I was going to, my sister lived there and I was, I just decided to go there and I never thought that I would be there as long as I was there, but I just went and I, I worked in executive recruiting for most of my time there. Um, yeah. It was a pretty high stress job and like, you know, I was entertaining clients. It was just, um, I think for me too, and this, we can talk about this when we talk about the ADHD, but I think that like part of just living in New York and the overstimulation and the reasons I was drinking without even realizing it was just to shut off the insanity of being in New York, of mm -hmm. the ADHD chatter in my brain, of um, just, I, I don't know if it was ever, I was ever suited to really live there, even though I spent most of my adult life there. Um, so no, I didn't go there with a job. I found a job once I was there. And then I was there for a few years, met my now ex-husband there. And so then, you know, we were there for a long time and I just stayed. I definitely can re resonate a lot with what you were talking about there. Um, so I grew up in the U.S. I'm not sure if you know my story that well, but um, lived in the U.S. Both my parents were Irish, are Irish, are Irish. <laughs> And they met in Philadelphia, and that's where I was born. And whenever I was eight years old, we moved to Ireland. And we lived there for probably five, six years before moving back to a suburb outside of Philadelphia, the same place we were living before. And so I did my undergrad in Philadelphia, which is a pretty big city. It's not as big as yeah. New York. Like I've been to New York many times because uh, it's very close to Philly. Um, but I can really resonate with that feeling of like being in such a busy city and like needing alcohol to kind of escape it sometimes, but then yeah. also to catch up with the busyness of it. I definitely found myself drinking more because there's so many more opportunities to drink. Everything is like, oh, it's happy hour. Let's take a drink. Oh, it's Sunday morning. Let's go get drinks for brunch. It's just so ingrained in city living culture, I think, that um, yeah. it's very easily just creep up on you i think as well right i mean yeah it was way too easy to be a big drinker in new york everything revolved at least the people that i was around and the things that i did i mean there wasn't and everything revolved around alcohol you walk out of your apartment and there's a bar on every corner you know it's almost impossible to avoid it so yeah. if you're trying to cut down on your drinking it's it's a tough place probably to get sober. I, in fact, I left before I yeah. got sober because when yeah. I, I moved from the city to upstate and I was drinking, I, it, it just, I don't know, it just felt different. And I'm like, I, this is not normal, the amount of alcohol that I'm drinking, yeah. you know, and we don't drive anywhere either. So that kind of exactly or take the subway like there's yeah. never any reason to be like oh no i won't have a drink tonight i'm driving or i have to drive to work tomorrow it's just yeah it's it's insane so you said that you quit drinking almost is it almost three years ago yeah october 30th oh. will be three years did you ever have any other attempts to stop or was this just one and not done? really no i mean well i shouldn't say that you know i would go for a week or two and say, oh, this is so easy. I'm done drinking and then go right back to it. But there was never a concerted effort to say like, I need to change my lifestyle. I need to work at this. I need to address the reasons why I'm drinking in the first place, as opposed to just say, I'm going to take a week off or do dry January, knowing that like that wasn't going to be a long-term thing. It was just sort of testing myself to see if I could do it as opposed yeah. to, you know, really wanting to make some serious changes in my life. I think that's so important to differentiate the difference between just not drinking and doing the work around not drinking. Mm -hmm. The not drinking is the easy part. Exactly. Right? <laughs> I was just going to say that. Mm -hmm. It's the easy part is to just stop drinking, but it's everything else that happens afterwards, right? Because you realize everything that you were drinking to avoid or drinking to escape or drinking to numb or drinking to enhance your experience in certain places where being there no longer resonates with you and having to figure out that whole thing. And I know with ADHD, um, because I've worked with some clients as well who are newly diagnosed with ADHD, and it's the reward thing is huge as yep. well. You know, that dopamine deficiency and seeking out alcohol as a reward. So 
Did you quit drinking? You quit drinking and then you had your ADHD diagnosis after that? No. So I, after I got divorced, I was seeing a psychiatrist for depression, right? And he's like prescribing me antidepressants. And every time I would talk with him, the things that I was complaining about, you know, like lack of focus, I was constantly anxious. I had a corporate job, but like I couldn't do the work, even though it wasn't not because it was too difficult. I just wouldn't do the work and I couldn't figure out why. And, you know, so the executive dysfunction and I just, I felt like I just couldn't get my shit together for somebody who was relatively smart and educated and had like all of the privilege that I had, I just couldn't quite get it together. And I was very easily like emotionally triggered and, he said to me, you know, have you ever been assessed for ADHD? And I was offended, actually. I was like, what do you mean? Absolutely not. I didn't even really know what it was. And so then he gives me the assessment and, you know, I'm off the charts, ADHD. Plus I was abusing substances, which I didn't even really make the connection between the two. So I was still drinking. I didn't really, there was no treatment plan for the ADHD. There was no caution or warning saying like, perhaps this is making it worse or you shouldn't be drinking so much, nothing. So it took me a few years of my life sort of spinning out of control and quitting drinking before I really took a step back and understood that I had been self-medicating for Mm. all of these years, or at least that's how it started, is that I always felt kind of like a misfit and I always had this you know, these, this negative chatter in my brain. And I just, I was con- the negative self-talk and beating myself up. And when I drank, that all went away. I sort of started to, you know, look back on my life and realize like that, that was the reason why I started, you know, over time, it just was fitting in and it was mindless and it was just something I did. And, but yeah, um, it didn't happen. I didn't really put the two together until after I quit. And I'm sure receiving a diagnosis like that just emotionally takes a toll as well, because there's a lot of identity shifting and looking at old patterns and trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together to kind of come up with this explanation of how I got here and how did I not see this and why did nobody tell me this? Right. Exactly. Like on one hand, it was a relief. It was like an aha saying, oh, okay, you know, this makes sense why I have been feeling this way my whole life. But on the other hand, it's like you feel like you've been robbed of all this time because it's like I didn't have to feel that way. I could, there there were tools that I could have learned along the way instead of drinking them away um, to manage. And that's why I do what I do now because I realized like there are, once I started talking about this, like on social media and just to people, There are so many people out there like me that are abusing alcohol, drugs, or or other just addictive behaviors, whether it's overeating or overspending or that have ADHD, whether Mm -hmm. it's a formal diagnosis or they just know. And so, you know, you look back on your life and you wonder like, oh, it could have been so different, but, you know, we can't go in the past. We can't revive a dead corpse. You just have to move forward and try to make better of it as you move forward. When you were doing the work of quitting drinking, as we say, did you work with somebody, a specialist or a coach or anyone who really helped you? Or were there some like podcasts that you really enjoyed or that really gave you some perspective? Could you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. So like I said, I woke up one morning, decided like I need a break. I need to change it up somehow. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't join a program at all for about six months. And this was during COVID. So I could sort of hide out and not- I I quit drinking in May of 2020 as well. So I just had three years there like last or two months ago. So I know how you feel. I only made it six weeks in before I was like, right, I need to quit drinking. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, because it really escalated during COVID. Yeah. Um, But it also was a little bit easier maybe to quit because I didn't have to be out in the world and explain it to anyone or have the pressure of like the social pressure. So about six months went by and the masks start coming off and real life is starting to, you know, get get back into the swing of things. And I started to panic. Mm -hmm. I was like, I didn't want real life 
to come back. I wanted to hide out alone and like in the, not have to explain to anybody that I wasn't going to drink. And I was, that's when I started seeking help because even though I knew I didn't want to drink anymore, I didn't feel, I wasn't free from the thoughts and the shame and the, what do I do now as a non-drinker? So I discovered an online, you know, virtual support group and it was mostly women. I think there was like one, one or two men, um, but we would meet on Zoom and just share our stories and share different tools and tactics and strategies that, you know, we used in order to get over that hump of existing in the world as non-drinkers. And that's what really helped to shift my mindset from I can't drink anymore to I don't want to. I don't need to. I don't. It's not serving me at all. And I'm grateful now that I am a non-drinker. And so and there was a coach that led us through that group support program. Um, and that's also when I said, I, I want to do this for other people because this is what changed my life. I mean, the transformation that I experienced from and, and releasing that shame and realizing there's so many of us out there that are struggling with our drinking, but we don't want to call ourselves alcoholics. I don't really identify with that. I was terrified to go to like a 12-step meeting. I've never been. Um, not, not to downplay the service that 12-step provides for some people, but it just never resonated with me. Right. So anyway, that's it was six months of sort of just hiding out and not talking to anybody. Um, but it's so hard to do it alone yeah. because, because of the shame and because it's, I mean, you can't get away from alcohol no matter what you can hide out for only so long. Right. I know. Yeah. That's amazing. We both quit during the pandemic. It was kind of, I felt a golden opportunity for me because I was going to go in back and forth, like for three years, trying to quit every first of the month being like, all right, I, kn I knew it. I, I didn't want to take, um, I didn't want to quit forever, but I always said, right, 30 days, I need to just reset. I need to just not drink for a month, get myself back on track. And I kept like every first of the month for three years, I was trying to quit drinking. And then the pandemic happened. And because I would always break that, you know, promise to myself about two weeks in, someone would text me, do you want to go get drinks after work? Or there's this party or a birthday or a wedding or whatever it was. There's always something. It was Christmas. And yeah. um, like there was always just those excuses that it was so hard for me to say no to. And in retrospect, I knew that it was because I wasn't planning on saying no to them. I didn't have right. myself. <laughs> but uh -huh. I COVID was, I know everyone, a lot of people, their relationship with alcohol got worse during COVID. Mm -hmm. I felt it was a golden opportunity for me to be like, right, there's literally nothing on the calendar. There's these Zoom happy hours that I can just literally say, no, I'm not going to go to them. They're not even that fun anyway. And just take, take a beat during this really awful thing that's happening in the world and just kind of focus on myself. Um, I don't know, was that your experience? But it was a very kind of, although the world was kind of falling apart, I kind of look back on COVID very with such nostalgia because I really took that time to go inwards and take, make some big changes in my life. Absolutely. I think there was like a, a universal shift in yeah. consciousness a little bit, but definitely. So I was a few months behind you and I was drinking, I had lost my job and I was, I had one COVID buddy and we would hang out and we would start drinking at like noon, you know, cause we could. And then that's, that's when I was like, wait a second, it, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, I know I'm hoping that this COVID thing is temporary and you know, this is not going to be how I live the rest of my life, but it was just, it be, just became abundantly clear how much I was drinking and I was ordering, like the liquor stores were closed, but you could order um, delivery. So like I had Postmates delivering booze to my apartment every week and I started to get embarrassed because the guy's like handing me a bag full of bottles and I was like oh my god you know that's what it was what am I doing so um same kind of thing though it was, but I the drinking definitely escalated before I decided to take a break um and I think that happened to a lot of people they were just drinking more often or starting earlier because if they're working from home and you know, they could start 
their happy hour at like three o'clock in the afternoon as opposed to waiting till the end of the day kind of thing. But yes, it was definitely an opportunity, like I said, because I could hide out at home and I didn't have to go anywhere or explain mm-hmm. myself or um, feel pressure. Yeah. And I think we need to give ourselves grace too, because it was like an unparalleled thing was happening in the world. Like nothing like that had ever happened before. And and for me, one of the main reasons why I really wanted to quit was the anxiety that I felt the next day, like the calm down from everything. It would last like three or four days just to get yeah. me back to baseline. Just I would usually black out whenever I was drinking. Um, and it would just be like my mind going crazy. What did I do? What did I say? Who did I call? Because it was yeah. FaceTiming during the pandemic. And um, it was even more intensified because I would be waking up hungover on a Saturday in my house, having not left my house, having a horrible mm-hmm. hangover. I'm like, how am I this hungover? And I didn't even leave my house. Like, right. what's going on? Exactly. And then the anxiety and everything else on top of the anxiety that I was basically putting on top of myself by drinking was just too much. And um, yeah, so interesting to hear that we had kind of a similar experience there. And so you said six months after you quit, you started the support group. And how long after that did you decide to become a coach? Um, let's see. I get confused with the timeline. Maybe like, I think maybe six months into the being a part of this group coaching, I decided to become a life coach myself and got certified. And But I always, I had this I kind of always knew that I wanted to do something like this, not knowing it was going to be helping people change their relationship with alcohol. But I was like, I want coming from executive recruiting where I wasn't helping people find jobs. I was helping big corporations help already super successful people like pilfer them from their role to a better role. Right. And it was, not that it wasn't a respectable job and you know i was i was helping people to you know create changes in their lives but it was not not the same i just i kept saying to myself i want to create like a positive impact on the world no matter how small i want to empower people to be better and so you know through being a part of this group coaching program and just seeing how coaching was just allowing us to see things that we couldn't see without somebody else pointing it out to us. It's not like the answers aren't right in front of us, but sometimes we can't get out of our own way. Right. And so I just, I've always been the type of person that people would come to, to talk to about things. And I've always been a good listener and like wanting to help people, but I, I never thought about a way that I could make this a career. And um, when I discovered, I didn't even realize what coaching was or that it was a thing. But once I discovered that this was an actual business that I could create and, uh, you know, with a mission and to help people become better at being themselves, I'm like, sign me up. So I guess like six months between quitting drinking and joining, becoming part of a support group, and then six months later, getting certified to do it myself. The truth is a lot of the tools that we learn and use can be applicable to not just quitting drinking, but just making improvements in your life in general, because it's all about your thoughts, right? It's like the way we think about alcohol, the subconscious beliefs we have about what it's actually doing for us and about ourselves and sort of untangling some of those beliefs because as you know, as a coach, like our beliefs and thoughts create our feelings and our feelings create our behaviors. Yeah. Quitting drinking for me, and I know so many others, which is kind of like the backbone of this podcast, it brings about a new sense of confidence in yourself that you follow through on what you say you're going to do. And I don't feel like without that, I would have been able to make the career changes that I made. So whenever Mm -hmm. I quit drinking, I was working as a researcher and doing my PhD. And the plan was stay in academia, keep doing this, keep trucking along, become a lecturer, whatever, whatever. Um, But after quitting drinking, I got to kind of take a look around my life and realize that I, I didn't actually enjoy what I was doing. A lot of what I was doing was driven by a need to kind of perform and have others view me in a certain way and seeking approval and chasing the gold star, you know, that comes with academia. And 
I don't think that without quitting drinking, I would have been able to make the changes that I deep down wanted to really make to my career. Mm -hmm. Would you said that something similar happened with you? Totally. I mean, so much of what I spent my life doing was for other people. Like yeah. from down to the way I looked to mm -hmm. the people I surrounded myself with, to the jobs I agreed to, to the man I married, to the, I mean, everything. I feel like I was, I was living up to some obligation for others, right? I never actually asked myself like, what, what makes me feel good? And I think that's part of where the drinking came in. It's like, I just didn't have that sense of self. I was just looking for validation everywhere but inside of myself. And I think finally when, when the alcohol was gone and I started all of a sudden you start to feel stuff, right? Like I, I didn't even know, like out of the clear blue sky, I would just feel this wave of emotion. I'm like, what's going on? I, I, nothing happened, you know, but it's like years of suppressing those feelings, whatever they are and not allowing myself to just deal with them, mm -hmm. whatever they were. And I think, um, removing the alcohol just, yeah, it made me question everything. Like, what am I doing this for? Why am I trying to seek happiness from outside of myself? I'm never going to find it. And um, just having compassion for myself and allowing myself to feel sad when I felt sad. And, you know, not ruminating over it and feeling sorry for myself, but just to allow myself to have the feelings because they pass, right? When you allow yourself to feel the feelings, they don't, yes. you're not gonna cry forever. It, it, you, go, you get through it and then you feel a little lighter and that's how you heal, right? I, I, didn't, I never really understood, you know, people would say you have to feel it to heal it. I didn't really get what that meant, but I do now because if you allow yourself those uncomfortable feelings, which we're all trying to escape from, with alcohol, with drugs, with sex, with whatever it is, we can't heal from it. That's so true. And those emotions are so important as well because they're gonna direct you into your next step. Like for me, I remember whenever I first quit drinking, I vividly remember, I know it was COVID, but I was sitting on my couch feeling so bored for the first time in so long because every weekend I would usually, I wouldn't feel bored because I was either drinking my bottle of wine on a Friday night feeling hungover and just trying to get through the day on Saturday and feeling just like crippled with anxiety on the Sunday. And that was pretty much my weekend. And then during the week, it was like work. The only exciting thing is food at the end of the day, scrolling social media, right? No real hobbies, no real exercise routine, not really doing anything to take care of myself, just kind of making it through. And I remember feeling bored sitting on the couch that for one of the first weekends that I quit drinking, and I was like, oh, my God, this feels so bad. But mm -hmm. if I needed to allow myself to feel that, to get myself up and be like, right, I need to try out some new hobbies. I need to find a new way to have fun. I'm not bored because I'm not drinking. I'm bored because I'm not stimulating myself. I'm not engaging in things that I enjoy. I'm not connecting with people that I want to be around or people that mean something to me. And if I hadn't have felt that boredom, which was, you know, a very negative emotional experience, I feel like it's one that doesn't get talk, talked about a lot. But if I hadn't felt that, I wouldn't have gotten up, started a cooking challenge. Like I started learning how to bake. I started reading books. I started going for long walks. I was educating myself on po using podcasts and audiobooks and things like that. And those negative emotions that we try to avoid so much are actually not that scary. And if you actually sit with them, you'll get moved into a new direction that's going to help you on your journey. It's so important to be able to allow yourself space to feel those. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so interesting that you're bringing this up because I've had so many conversations recently about like being bored, you know, like, well, what do you do if you're not drinking, you know? And it's exactly that. Drinking is the most boring thing in the world. I, I experienced that too. Like I used to do things. I used to like enjoy doing stuff. And then my only hobby became drinking, going out and partying. And, you know, and I'm not going to lie and say that like there weren't some fun times going out and letting loose and all of that. But I lost everything that I used to love. And 
same kind of thing. Like when the alcohol was gone, I'm like, all right, now what do I do now? Like what, what do I even like to do? You know, I, I don't know if you can see there's a, a keyboard behind me. I used to play the piano and I was in bands and like I didn't, I stopped playing music. And so I decided like, okay, I'm going to like learn to play the piano again. I moved from the city to the country. I started hiking, you know, I um, just so many things that I had neglected and abandoned for alcohol, you know, I've taken up again and my life is so much more full than it ever was when I was drinking. And so that fear of boredom isn't, it's exactly what you said. It's not because it's boring not to drink. It's because we're not, we forget how to do the things that we love to do, or we don't even know what those things are anymore. And so it's exciting to rediscover your passions and, you know, what excites you, what lights you up, as opposed to just numbing everything and checking out with this addictive, toxic carcinogen. Yes, because that's what it is at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. It definitely takes away more than it gives, um, especially when you're using it the way that I was and probably the way that you were. Mm -hmm. And is this something, because I've noticed this, um, there's this thing called a dopamine menu. Have you heard of this in mm -hmm. the ADHD world? I've actually researched it a little bit and created one for a few of my clients. As I said, they were newly diagnosed with ADHD when they started working with me. But it's basically, it's called a dopamine menu, and it's laid out as if it's a normal food menu. So there's appetizers, main courses, desserts, snacks. Yeah, check that out. <laughs> and appetizers, they're quick little thing um, that you can do to get that dopamine boost, whether that's going for a walk, listening to your favorite podcast, whatever. For your main course, that might be something really fun, like planning a day out, going on roller coasters or booking yourself into um, an art class or a pottery class or something that would kind of take like half a day or a day. And then desserts are things that are kind of indulgent. You probably shouldn't do them all the time, like scrolling social media or watch, binge watching your favorite show on Netflix. And then sides are things that you do alongside of the boring tasks that you don't want to do, like watching your favorite movie while you're folding clothes or something like that. But um, absolutely, yeah. I, I'm just, I bring that up um, just to ask if, that's something that you come across with a lot of your clients who are they mainly women who have been diagnosed with ADHD? It's mostly women who have been like late diagnosed ADHD that are, you know, over drinking, overeating, overspending, mostly alcohol because that's that was my drug of choice. But I love the dopamine menu. Um, but it's the same, you know, I don't I didn't have a name for it, but the same kind of thing. It's like everything we do is to feel a certain way, right? And when you have ADHD, like one of the things, and I relate to this so much, is that the like the impulsivity and the emotional reactivity, it's a very similar feeling to like a craving to drink, right? It's like you're just so frustrated and overwhelmed and you don't know what to do. And it's like this energy, this negative energy is building up inside you. What do you do? So instead of pouring yourself a drink, instead of lashing out at that person that upset you, instead of going on Amazon and impulse buying stuff, retail therapy, it's taking a step back. And I really focus on mindfulness. I mean, just taking a breath, trying to be present in the moment and realizing that the feeling will pass, right? It's like surfing the urge. It's, it, will, it feels really uncomfortable for maybe a minute or so. Mm -hmm. and then it will go away so if you can lean into that discomfort for a minute the feeling will pass and you will you can listen to your favorite song to change your mood that's a big one for me i love listening to like an upbeat song definitely changes the way i feel mm -hmm. um stepping outside and taking a walk like you said making sure you have like protein you which has been a huge thing for me i didn't realize how much protein makes a difference in the way I feel. Yeah. And I'm the kind of person that can allow myself to forget how hungry I am or I don't notice how hungry I am until I reach that level where I'm just like, I want to kill somebody, you know? And so I realized as soon as it, like that hit of dopamine you get from eating protein mm -hmm. really, really completely shifts your mood. So that's something that I share with clients all the time. It's like, making sure you have your toolbox full of tools, kind of like the dopamine menu. It's like, what are some things that I can pull out 
in order to change the way I feel so that I'm not reaching for these unhealthy, you know, compulsions that are so much easier instead of hitting the easy button, you know, what can I do instead? Yeah, you brought up something that I've been thinking about for a while with regards to quitting drinking, stopping drinking, taking a break, whatever it is. And it kind of, it does link with you know, ADHD, but it is the nutrition component of things. Because if you are somebody who doesn't plan your meals and just constantly, you know, is just holding out until you feel ravenous with hunger or you're relying on mainly sugary carbohydrate foods where you get that spike and then, you know, the crash afterwards, your, your mood is going to be affected by that. And mm -hmm. so are your cravings, right? Because when you leave it so long to get till you're ravenously hungry, you're probably not going to make the best decision for yourself. Whereas if you were planning your day and planning your meals um, so that you were getting your nutrients in, you'd, you'd be looking out for your future self and be way less likely to give into those cravings. Like, for example, if you knew that every Friday night you really craved that glass of wine or whatever it is, just taking care of your nutrition side of things would have such a benefit on that, too. Because if you are ravenous hungry and you're not feeding yourself properly throughout the day, of course, it's going to be so much more tempting to to give in quote unquote and drink the wine but yeah that's just some not something that it's something that's been on my mind a little bit and i just wanted to share her on the podcast because we have not touched on this at all but nutrition is such an important part of the journey i think because i had that experience as well like whenever i was um whenever i was drinking i was basically overeating during the week to not feel anything and then over drinking at the weekends to not feel anything and so whenever I quit drinking, I really did have to, not not right away because I was just focusing on one thing at a time, but I did have to kind of get my nutrition under control as well because yeah. I had gained a little bit of weight and I wasn't feeling my best and I wasn't, you know, doing anything very beneficial for my health. It was a lot of sugary foods and different things like that, still trying to get that dopamine hit from right. somewhere. Um, right. You know that a lot of people have that kind of, not cross addiction, but people who have a tendency to overdrink have a tendency to overeat as well. Yeah, it's just something that I've been thinking about and I wanted to share here on the podcast because I don't think it gets spoken about enough, like the importance of those healthy habits and your nutrition on this journey. I used to eat, I mean, I used to drink my dinner a lot of times, you know, like <laughs> I would be really hungry and I didn't want to have to think about was I going to eat. And so I'd have a glass or two of wine and then like it's, like the hunger went away a little bit, but then I was, you know, drunk. So, and then yeah. if I if I did eat, it would be like you know really unhealthy choices later in the evening. So I definitely part of maintaining my alcohol free nutrition in my body. I'm like proud of myself for caring about myself and for for preparing a good meal for myself. Yeah. It's like the ultimate act of self care, you know. And so I give myself a little pat on the back, like that I made a yummy, healthy meal for myself. And, um, you know, just like appreciating your body and how hard it works to keep us alive. And it'll keep us alive if we keep drinking, right? It'll work very hard to keep us alive. But like, it's only going to last for so long. And why not feed it with nutrients and things that are good for you as opposed to, you know, processed foods and alcohol and other stuff that it just it'll it can tolerate but it doesn't like i want to segue into your work now as a coach mm -hmm. and starting your business how was that how was starting a business i know we kind of we know each other from tiktok uh-huh i were tiktok queens uh -huh. um, but i gotta say tiktok is like the greatest marketing tool it really is i, I didn't really understand the power of tiktok but you know like the sober community on there is amazing. I've met so many people like us that are sharing their stories and, um, you know, helping other people. And I learned so much like from you from there's so many coaches that I follow. Um, and the ADHD community. And what TikTok actually allowed me to do was to realize the connection, how many people are struggling with both. One of the videos that I, I did had like over 2 million views. So I was like, wow, there are a lot of people that understand exactly. And, and it's been learning for me too, because as I, you know, figure out ways to deal with my own ADHD, um, I'm learning along with my clients 
a lot of the time because I'm discovering new strategies that I share with them and I use them in my own my own daily life. So TikTok, yeah, has been amazing. I also like in building my own business and being an entrepreneur and this mission-driven business and you know, being a solopreneur where I'm really responsible for every piece of my business, I relate it a lot to the alcohol-free journey because there are moments when I'm like, I, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. It's too hard. Nobody cares. Like, I, it's, it'd be way easier to just go get a job and, like, not worry and, you know, who do I think I am trying to help other people? Like, I should, I could just get sober and go on my merry way. But, um, so I use a lot of the tools that I use, I still use in like the alcohol freedom, which is self-compassion, number one, um, realizing that most of the thoughts and the beliefs that I have about myself aren't true and like the self-talk and that we really have the power to create our own reality. And mm-hmm. it's not like, you know, you just think magical thoughts and magical things happen. But if you, you know, reframe those negative thoughts and have belief in yourself and follow through and do the work, you can do it, right? Mm-hmm. And there, and it's not linear. There's ups and downs. There are times when I feel like, oh, you know, I got this in the bag. And then the next week I'm like, oh, what am I doing, right? So <laughs> it's just, it's like understanding that and taking the ups with the downs and not giving up. Mm. basically. And knowing that there are people out there that need what I have to share. And, you know, I think years ago, you know, the the sober curious movement and and coaches like us, there weren't, or at least I didn't know of people like us back in the day, right? So I feel like if, if there was somebody like me that I found on social media that was talking about this stuff that I could talk to, who knows how my life might have been different earlier on. So I just know that there's a need for what we do. And I'm, this is, this, it's my mission now. You know, I feel like all of the bullshit I put myself through all through the years has led me to this place now of like being able to help other people. So that's why, that's why I do it. Having that why is just so incredibly important because as you said, it's not linear. There's, I completely agree with you. There's weeks where I'm like, I have this thing entirely figured out. I love my business. My clients are amazing. Everything's working out for me. And then the next week I'll be like, what am I doing? Why did I leave research? And, you know, everyone's judging me for, you know, posting on social media. It's like the same things, right? It's the same old subconscious thought patterns just freshened up and put into a a different scenario, like worrying about what other people are going to think, not believing you can do this, thinking, worrying about the future instead of taking things one day at a time, all of that. And as you said, it really does parallel the alcohol-free journey. Totally. I saw, you know who Mel Robbins is? Yeah. Something she's, I saw her say on social media, just like completely transformed the way I feel about when I'm posting. She's like, your social media is not for your friends. Your social media is for you to express whatever you need to express, to share your gifts with whoever needs to hear them. And that just kind of really resonated with me because I would feel sort of self-conscious, like, oh, you know, these people who knew me back in the day when I was drinking are like, who does she think she is, you know? Um, but that's not who I'm talking to. I'm talking to people who need to hear what I have to say. Or even when I get negative feedback from people I don't know that are like, you know, you're full of it. Like, I love drinking and stop preaching and all of this. You know, yeah. I think you saw recently, like, I responded to somebody like, you know, why do you need to chime in? If it's not a problem for you, then lucky you, you know, go yeah. on your merry way. Why do you have to, like, um, mock people that are, struggling with this you know it it makes no sense and you I think and a lot of other people said well a lot of times it's a mirror and they don't want to hear it because then they have to maybe face their own demons right but Mm -hmm. throwing away like not caring what people think and not taking those comments personally and realizing it's got nothing to do with me like the people that need to hear what I have to say that want to hear what I have to say that's who I'm doing this for and, you know, and I learned so much, too, by putting myself out there. Um, 
it's it's very freeing to just allow yourself to be yourself. And it kind of is another lesson for me, at least it was in the whole chasing external validation thing, um, especially yep. the likes and the comments and the followers. And I think my first year I started posting on TikTok in March of like, seriously, I think I had like 100 followers in March of 2022. Um, and since then I've just been consistent with it. But I remember those first six months to a year just desperately trying to get like a thousand, ten thousand. How many likes did I get? How many views did I get? And it was definitely like an addictive thing. Um, and then I would get a negative comment, and my world would crumble, and I'd feel right. so much shame, and I'd be like, "Oh my god, what am I doing? Someone out there thinks I'm wrong, or they don't like me, or whatever it is." And nowadays, I get, you know, I think we're probably along the same wavelength with the amount of engagement and stuff that we get, and I get the odd hate comment every now and then it's usually something like one of my favorites was your voice makes me want to drink yeah <laughs> I, I just, mean some of them are funny and i'm just like that's actually hilarious like whatever or someone will be like oh you should just try cocaine instead something like that um but for the actual haters i just you know, i don't engage they don't have a place on my page um and i've just learned that for now i'm not engaging with any of them i think i tried it like once yeah. or twice they're just it's bait they just want to fight with you right. and they're never going to be convinced otherwise so there's no point in arguing with someone who's committed to you being wrong so right exactly kind of well, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of trolls out there and and also the, one of the things that i've come to accept too well two things sometimes the more viral your video goes and the more likes and views it gets the, the more negative comments you're also going to get right mm -hmm. so with the good comes bad but also Sometimes people are watching and they're getting something out of what you're saying, but they're not necessarily engaging. They're not commenting. They're not liking. They're just like, oh, you know, but something they, they find something mean, meaningful in what you're saying. So I try not to care at all anymore. Yeah. Like, and I also, I, I don't understand sometimes which ones of my posts are seen so much more often than the others. Like I don't, I don't get it. So I'm like, why is this one? more popular than another one which i thought was way more interesting and way more helpful you know yeah so, yeah it makes no sense <laughs> right it's i try to detach myself from any expectations mm -hmm. from that because that's again that's not why i'm doing it i'm doing it because there's somebody out there that needs to hear what i'm saying and like the first few videos that i made about adhd and the connection between over drinking they went really viral. Two of them went, had like over a million views. Wow. People need to know this. Nobody's talking about it, right? People are talking about alcohol, but people are talking about ADHD, but there's no one really talking about where they intertwine, right. which is so common. That's what the crazy right. thing is. Right. And I also saw other people, like people talking about going to AA meetings and, you know, you have to talk about, they talk about how they, always felt different and they always they were naming all of these sort of adhd traits and so i'm like they have adhd whether they're diagnosed or not like yeah. clearly that's the issue and so it's kind of even though i knew that there there's been research done it i just didn't really put the two together and that it was um it wasn't just me you know that it was really pretty common that i, I think 25 percent of people that are seeking treatment for alcohol use disorder have ADHD or diagnosed with ADHD. So it's probably way yeah. more than that, you know? Yeah. Um, and ADHD is such a misunderstood and mis underdiagnosed, especially in women. Mm -hmm. So, you know, then we beat ourselves up even more and we're like, we just can't, we're failing at life. You know, we just can't handle stuff. And that's not it. It's just, we don't have the tools. We, ha we never learned. So what's next for you? With regards to your coaching and your business and everything else, what are you excited about? Well, I am just continuing to build my practice. And, um, you know, I've really been focused on working one on one with people, but I started, I incorporated a group program and I'm actually working on creating a self led program for people who just don't want to, you know, invest financially the same amount as it costs to have me as a coach mm -hmm. to be able to have all of the tools all of the strategies, you know, the tactics that I've used for myself and with my clients to just have them 
and they can use as they see fit, you know, and pick and choose what works best for them. Um, and I think that having like a more accessible, lower price point access to these tools is really necessary because people ask me questions and like, oh, I want to talk to you about this, but they don't always realize that like I am a coach. This is my profession. I'm, you know, as much as I want to help people, you know, this is what I do for a living. Right. And so, you know, my time is valuable. Yeah. And so the reason that I put stuff out on TikTok is like for those people who aren't necessarily going to invest in coaching. But um, yeah, so my next project is to do this self-led course so that they have access to everything that I use with my clients, but not necessarily me live. Um, oh gosh, so exciting. Yeah. So, so you know, amazing resource for your community. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a book, you know, in my head that I keep telling myself I have to write. So I have sort of the, uh, I have the many, many years of journals as notes, but I haven't yet sat down and actually started the book, but it's, it's in my head. So that'll be next. That'll be the next project. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for coming on to the podcast today. I will put all of your links to your TikTok and your website in the show notes for anyone who's interested. Definitely go follow, follow Jennifer for ADHD slash alcohol advice, tips, tricks, mindset hacks, all of that. And to just, I think hearing your story is going to be just so valuable for so many people too, to know that they're not alone in this and to know that the connection is there between over drinking and ADHD diagnosis. Yeah, I'll put all the links to connect with you in the show notes. Oh, it was great chatting with you, Melissa. And it was great to finally, you know, like speak live because I know we've like, know. you know, and support in the comments always. <laughs> yes. Thanks so much again for being such an amazing guest. And I know everyone's going to love this episode. So thanks so much, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Working Sober. I hope that you found it informative and inspiring. Make sure you join our community over on Substack where we share resources, stories, and support for those navigating this transformational journey. To subscribe, simply visit workingsober.substack.com or head to the link in the show notes and enter your email address. It's completely free and you'll receive our latest newsletter directly in your inbox. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. It helps us reach more people who can benefit from our message. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, keep working sober and pursuing your dreams.